everybody always says, well, you've got a really strong work ethic. But I do honestly think it's because when I was a kid, every job I went for, some kids would go for it and, you know, they just wanted to get the job because it would please their mum or dad. I went because I was like, if I don't get this job, I'm out of this school. So it was my driving force behind everything that I did. And I think I've just, it's stuck with me. Guys, welcome to a very special episode of The Matt Haycock Show. Today, I'm already feeling the pressure because we have with us a veteran of 20 plus years in show business. She's a pop star, she's a TV presenter, a dancer, an actress, a West End leading lady, a model, and much, much more. And she's also recently released an autobiography. It's a pleasure to have with us today, Denise Van Aften. Thank you. Do you know what? That just makes me sound really greedy. <laughs> like I just do everything. And old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, jokes. I <laughs> know, it's true. I've been around for a long time. Uh, how, how long is it now? Um, well, I guess, I mean, I've worked professionally since I was seven years old. So was that a my paying whole job? Life. Yeah, I used to do modelling when I was a kid. So I started out as a child model. But I guess being publicly known would be the big breakfast. So I'm I'll going back then. like 25 years, maybe plus that now. Um, and then previous to that, I did a kids TV show. So some people sort of knew me pre Big Breakfast. So a long time. And of all those different things we talked about that you do, I mean, if you had to pick one, so that's that's like my favourite by a long way, what is it? So it's really hard to say because I actually love everything that I do because I've got so much variety in my career. I never get bored. And I think that's the main thing for me because I'm, well, I know I've, I'm ADHD, so I do get bored very quickly. Um, so <laughs> I like are, are, to... are we okay this far? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, of course. Okay, right. That's fine. <laughs> not bored? No, not just yet. No, I'm sure you, I'll never tire of you. Um, so yeah, so I just like to do different things. I think as long as it's live, I'm fine. I just think when I do anything, like when I've shot film before, because it takes forever to shoot a scene, I do get a bit, I find it a bit tedious because you're shooting the same scene. Sometimes you can end up shooting a scene for like three or four days, just one scene on different cameras, but anything live. So whether it's presenting, um, live stage performance, live radio, that's my bag. And, and do you get, I mean, do you still get any pressure and nerves from the live, live aspect of it? I think you, to be a good performer, or to be good at your job, you should feel nervous because it means you care. So I don't get nervous to the point where I can't do my job because I've got I've got friends that have been in that situation where they just won't do live TV because they're too scared. But I think, it, you know, sometimes I have to remind myself a lot of it's adrenaline. I definitely get that before I go on stage. You know, when you first started doing stuff, I mean, did you did you kind of struggle to watch yourself? Like, you know, when I first doing this, I mean, we're four or five years into it now, and I've got no issue watching something now. But I mean, like in the beginning, I mean, I just cringe. Literally, I'll put something on and I just have to turn it straight off. I mean, I think it was a combination of probably not being used to looking at yourself, but also the fact that I was probably pretty horrific back then as well. Uh, but I mean, I literally I couldn't I just couldn't watch it even in private. I've never watched anything I've done. Really? I do it, I shoot it, and I'm done. I'm gone. Because for a number of reasons, I think when you present, especially when I did the big breakfast, because it was live every day, I felt that, you know, if I watched it, what was the benefit to it really? Because I have another show the next day. So my main focus was what I was about to do next rather than looking back. And also, I think you end up picking up on things that perhaps you feel look a bit awkward on camera. So you become a bit too self-aware. And I think, especially with presenting or any kind of live TV, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be self-conscious you should just enjoy it but if you're not watching it back and therefore if you're not i guess seeing things where you thought you thought you could improve uh, are, there, are there other people like other other producers and stuff telling you you need to do this better or you... oh yeah so i mean with everything with live tv your production team will tell you um but critics you know i mean if you do a theater show you get reviewed anyway so and i take on board the good and the bad 
because some people don't like to read their reviews, but I do read them because I think even sometimes when I've been in a show and I've had bad reviews, they've actually done me good because I take something from it. Not all of them. Some of them you can, you know, you feel like you're being trolled a little bit because they're just out to get you. Um, but there are sometimes, there are some things that good critique or bad critique can help you equally. Well, let's go back to the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, back to the Sylvia Young days. Uh, obviously, uh, for, for anyone, <laughs> for anyone watching or listening who doesn't know, I mean that's that is the UK's most uh, most famous stage school by a long shot. Into I mean, did you get international kids there as well? Yeah, a few, but not so many. They were mainly London-based kids because it started out as a very small school. Sylvia started running it from a small church in London and it just grew and grew and I think the reason why the school itself has been so successful is she took on board most of the kids that weren't from a you know solid financial background a lot of them were on grants but she just recognized these talents in kids and if you look at the people that she produced from the school I mean Amy Winehouse she she was the person that got Amy Winehouse into music you know because at a theatre school you're kind of pushed to do more sort of acting and musical theatre which was very much what I wanted to do but she sent her down the path of music um, Rita Ora, Billy Piper, Samantha Womack, the All Saints girls, and the Spice was it, girls. By the time by the time you'd gone though, it'd been around for a while, the school. It had been, but it was actually when we look back at my year, and I do this quite often with Sylvia, it is quite amazing how many of us have gone on to work and continue to work. There was like this little group of women that you know we look now and we go, how is it that we're all still doing it? But I think maybe we fed off each other because it was kind of like it was competitive but in a good way. How old were you when you went there? I was 11. And you, you stayed through to late teenage, do you? No, I left when I was 16 because right. I was working. But I went, I wasn't supposed to go to a theatre school. I ended up, um, I went to a convent school, which suited me very well. Oh, yeah? Did it, did it, did it keep you <laughs> in the I got control? in trouble all the time. <laughs> um, and then I got into Les Miserables when it first opened in the West End in London. And my school at the time, they said to me that I wouldn't be able to do it because I wasn't allowed the time off to do the show. So I was like, how do I make this work? And the only solution was to go to a theatre school. So I kind of went to Sylvia's. It wasn't part of the plan. It was meant to be a temporary thing. And I was only supposed to go for the duration of doing Les Miserables. But then I just kept working and then I just loved it. And tell me, you know, a minute ago you mentioned that uh, obviously one of the good things about Sylvia's was, was that they uh, had a lot of kids on grants. And I, I believe, were you on a grant or, or, or are you, I know you certainly weren't one of the wealthy kids there, were you? No, I actually paid for my own schooling. But so, out of the jobs you were doing? Yeah, so everybody always says, well, we've got a really strong work ethic. But I do honestly think it's because when I was a kid, every job I went for, some kids would go for it and, you know, they just wanted to get the job because it would please their mum or dad. I went because I was like, if I don't get this job, I'm out of this school. So it was my driving force behind everything that I did. And I think I've just, it's stuck with me. Even now my friends laugh at me because I'm, I'm lucky, you know, I've worked consistently for years. But every time I do a job, I sort of laugh to myself and go, oh, that'll pay for a new patio, <laughs> that'll pay for new curtains. Because it's just how I'm wired, I guess, from being a child. It was like every job I get, I, I mentally think, right, what will this cover? And this will cover next term school fees. And I guess, uh, I mean, aside from having the work ethic, I mean, no, no matter how successful you are, in, in this line of business, you still never really know if it's going to be your last job. Absolutely. And I also love the job that I do. I meet very interesting people like yourself and just have a really nice time. And I think if I, if I wasn't enjoying it, I wouldn't do it. Sometimes it doesn't really feel like work for me because it's such a nice environment to be in. Don't get me wrong, I have to work. I do work really hard and people are quite surprised. There's a lot of traveling. There's a lot of time spent on your own. I'm constantly on my phone, which is probably really annoying for a lot of my friends and family, but... I'm a businesswoman at the end of the day and I'm running my 
business. I mean, aside from those bits that you might not enjoy as much, what, what, what I mean, are there any particular aspects of, of actually doing the, doing the job that, that, that you don't like as much as others? Oh, I love it. Oh. I love everything about it because I've grown to love it more and more because I've appreciated it more. And I think especially after the couple of years that we all had where we, we felt restricted, I appreciate everything so much more. You know, and the times when I used to sit in a dressing room and be waiting around to go on set, now I'll go and find people and sit and have a laugh with them because I like meeting new people and doing new things. And also I've turned every everything into another opportunity or I've learned something from it. So I kind of like see it as a good thing, really. I, I always think that as well with, um, I guess, not not just jobs, but even, even things that have gone wrong. And, you know, everything ultimately has always led to something else. Yeah. And, and I guess obviously our careers are very different. But, you know, from, from a business perspective, you know, people nowadays will always say to me, oh, you know, that, that thing you did then that went wrong or those things that you bought back then, you know, <laughs> that you have a, you've lost or you don't use you know don't don't you regret doing that and just just think if you hadn't bought that now you'd have i don't know x amount more money because you yeah. wanted to waste all that and i always say it never once crosses my mind that i shouldn't have done that because because ultimately you know doing that led me to meet that person which led me to meet that person which led me to do that or, 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 or whatever it may be and you know if i hadn't have lost that money or made those catastrophic mistakes i ultimately wouldn't wouldn't be where i am yeah. today i mean i give an example of that i was offered when they very first came up with the idea of strictly come dancing i knew bruce Forsyth really well and i'd done a few shows with him we used to sing together and he came to me and approached me to be sidekick for strictly come dancing and said to me, you know, there's this show, it's all ballroom, it's going to be celebrities. And he said, I want to open the show with a song and dance number with you, close it with you, because he knew that I danced and sang. And I remember sitting there and I went to him, Bruce, it sounds really boring. <laughs> Strictly come dancing. So they gave it to Tess Daly. And then at the time, I remember it, and it was a huge hit and I was thinking, oh, maybe I was a bit of an idiot there turning that down. But actually, when I look back, because Tess has done it for many years, but just kind of does that and she's associated with it. Whereas I went on to do Broadway, I've done film, I've done theatre in the West, I've done so many other things and I wouldn't have had such a varied career. So actually for me, it worked out. No, talking singing then, I, I want to talk a bit about, I guess, like passion over money, yeah. money over passion, because I know in, in your early career, uh, you, you were in a, a pop, you were a kind of a, a pop star in a band, which which you gave up, to, was that, did you give that up to go and do presenting, was it? Yes. Um, and I, I know you, you got some pressure from your, whether your management, record, record label, whatever. I mean, do, do you, do you still live with that philosophy now in that, uh, you know, you, you will always take the things you want to do ahead of taking money or, uh, or I guess, I'm going to, I'm trying to almost putting words into your mouth that I, I don't want, but would, would you ever be, let's say, financially pragmatic about something nowadays and do, do jobs that you don't want just to get the money or, or is it very much about you know, following your dreams and following your passion? I think, like, for me, because I am fortunate and in a good position, I don't feel pressured to have to do things for the money. Um, but in the early days of my career, I definitely turned down a lot of big money offers. And, yeah, for that very reason, principle, um, with certain things. You know, I left a big radio gig because I wasn't happy in the environment I was working in and it was a huge paycheck, but I walked away from it. I have no regrets doing that. When you were walking away, did, did you have other things to go on to that you thought you no. preferred? You were just walking away because yeah. you knew it didn't feel right? Just didn't feel right. And also, um, like anything in life, really, if it's not... If it doesn't feel right and I'm not getting any joy out of it, I'll just leave it. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you just want to be happy, don't you? So, yeah, so I've walked away from when I, that particular situation with my pop career. I just felt that it wasn't really where I wanted to be. You know, I was in a duo girl band 
and I wasn't really doing anything that I wanted to do and I wasn't making the music that I wanted to. It was, very, it was a very controlled environment. And then I was offered to do presenting and the guy from the record label said to me, oh, that'll last five minutes. And of course it was the big breakfast <laughs> and it launched my whole career. So I've no regrets about that. But yeah, I think you have to choose wisely, but also I know myself, so I know what I thrive in and what I enjoy. And I think that's the key to everything. Just find what you love. And it doesn't matter what job it is as long as it's something you absolutely love and you're passionate about i think you can always you'll always come out on top and talking about singing i know you said that it's taken you a long time to get comfortable like singing as yourself and that you know that mm. you've always preferred singing behind behind the mask of a character if you like i mean you know do you have that kind of coping mechanism in in in, in any other aspects of your career or what, what, would, what would your advice be to other people who, who struggle well it's interesting because i read recently that even beyonce takes on a stage persona Sasha Fierce. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so what, what? apparently before she goes on, she just is not her. Well, that's a name she's and, come up with. Yeah, and they, a lot of people do it. And I suppose my thing was from being a performer from such a young age, and I'd always been a character actress, so everything I'd done, even like Les Rub, I'd played a role. So suddenly, like, I could do any song in character, but when I was asked to just sing something, I'd be like, oh, I don't know how to interpret this or because that was just the thing that was in my head. So I think when I did The Masked Singer, that got rid of a lot of that for me. Um, but again, if it helps you, just do it. My daughter's um, not the most confident child. I mean, it's quite hard for her because she's got me as her mum, who's confident, her dad's an actor. And so when she does anything at school, they always expect her to just be the kid that's gonna go up the front and be a bit showy, and it's not her at all. So she said to me, she's actually, even today, she's got, um, a choir performance with the school and it's with other schools in the area and she was like I'm really nervous and I said well just be your character so she's creating herself a little character today I don't know who she's going to be how, how <laughs> but I do she? think that helps 12 because I just think sometimes you just got to fake it a little bit do you know what I mean Did and you... there's nothing wrong with that people think that there is but there's nothing wrong with that if it helps you feel confident it gets you through something just you know. Do you think the shyness it. comes, it kind of comes one way or the other when you've got you know either very confident parents and outgoing mm. parents or not? Because I, I have a, a similar situation with my daughter in that I mean she's she'll be sixteen in September uh, and she's I mean she's come out of her shell a lot more now. But you know especially when she was 12, 13, younger, you know she'd be super super shy and I, I'd I'd always you know think like, like try and find ways to convince her to be more mm. outgoing and always say well you know you, you've been around me for you know for 12 years or 15 years or whatever but uh, I, I, I guess it just never never seemed to matter yeah I don't think it does and I just think each personality is different and whatever works for them and I think sometimes it could be even more of a pressure if you have got confident parents see I was I'm confident because my sister is very shy and I talk about it in my autobiography and I think as a child that's why I ended up becoming so confident because I used to have to speak for my sister because I could feel if we were in a room and a, 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 someone asked my sister a question I could feel her literally going red and thinking please don't speak to me so I would just step in and answer for her and I think that's just stuck with me really. I'm probably annoyingly confident. Yeah. <coughs> <laughs> I, I, I won't be doing that one. Just be Sasha Fierce. That's who you are now. You know, actually, going complete off on a tangent, my, um, I always wanted to be um, a, a singer when I was a kid. Yeah. But not only do I want to be a singer, I actually specifically wanted to be Danny Zuko. Oh, right. 
in Greece. In yeah. Greece, I, I used to do. I did a little bit of that. Yeah, so um, I guess school plays and you know, the, the, the odd the odd thing at the local theatre and took drama class and stuff. But I always wanted to be a singer, and my voice was just horrific. I mean, I mean, like everyone always says, oh, I've got a bad singing voice, but you know they're just like being polite to themselves. I mean, my singing voice was absolutely horrific. I decided I'd go and take some singing lessons because you know obviously I've got to improve if I'm going to make a career as Danny. So I uh, <laughs> I found this local singing teacher. Shows you how long ago this is, because this is back in the days of cassettes, and um, and I don't, don't know how you guys learnt at uh, Sylvia Young or when you do singing lessons. But what had happened is, you know, we'd pick a song and she'd either play it or play it on the piano, mm. and I'd sing to it, and we'd have to record it on, you know, we record it on the tape, and I'd have to take the tape home with me, and uh, uh, that'd be like my way of practice, I guess, like the same way you take your sheet music home mm. and tinker on the piano. So we were recording. It was Elvis. Is it only fools rush yeah. in? wise men say um and um we'd record it i remember singing in the, cl in the class and it was horrendous i mean like the worst thing to listen to i record it and i had to take it home and play it to myself and playing the tape was just so dreadful even to like me in private that i thought i can't even listen to this to practice and i just had to had to give up my dream of being danny oh so. <laughs> never mind you can always be danny at home behind closed doors danny it was, it was danny in singing class and, and meat like meatloaf in the shower <laughs> well talking talking singing and uh, and and you you mentioned obviously you're in a in a, a two-piece two pop band you've you've been um you've uh, you've had many duos and many famous duos that you've, you've worked in over the years um, uh, I mean, how how have you kind of developed your rapport with them, and and how would you kind of translate that to advice for other people? You know, working with partners or having partners, you know, whether it's in business or showbiz or, or or life in general. Just be generous with everything, your time, everything. I think when I've worked with people, like my most successful TV pairings or music pairings, are when you just you have a respect and understanding of each other. And be generous, like let the other person have their moment as well. You know, it's not all about you. So you have to work in unison. Um, but I've... like that I think for you to be respected and remembered you do have to understand that everybody plays a part whatever you do whatever business you're in you know it's not just all about the front runners it's all the other people that make it work and yeah. I mean in, in kind of duos whether it's singing duos or presenting duos I mean do, do you think do you think some people are kind of best best to be solo and, and some people will always be always be better better together that probably comes with a situation of what makes you feel comfortable um i don't like to think that someone that's in like for instance i've got friends that are in a band and they would be too nervous to venture out on their own but that's not having self-confidence so that makes me quite sad for people because i think well you've all got the ability to do it and also especially with anything before you do end up being put together as a duo or a band or anything like that or in a group situation you were always your own person anyway before that so should never really lose sight of that. Well, I think that's something that I found, like when I went off to be and became a mum, that I was out of everything for quite a long period of time. And I moved out to the country and I lived on a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. And it was really hard for me to step back in, into work. Because um, you sort of think, oh, I've got the confidence in my, I just, I became a mum at home. And it was, that was a bit of a weird transition to get back into it. But I made sure that I got back in 
without leaving it too long because I think you can leave it too long. I mean, obviously you talk about the confidence of going back to work after being a mum. Did you, did you find it uh, it was nervous or took a, a different kind of confidence to actually be a mum in the first place? Because I guess that was some, something completely different for you. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the biggest role I've ever played and the hardest, toughest one because you never know what you're going to be faced with daily. Um, nappies, dirty nappies. Yeah, I know. And requests for your PayPal password. And, and all my friends now are like, oh, it gets easier as they get older. I'm like, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> my daughter's 12 and she's a teenager and I'm dealing with the uh, eye rolling and she thinks I'm really uncool I'm, I'm everything that I do. I'm blessed with the most low-maintenance, placid, almost 16-year-old you could possibly ask oh, for. Oh, well, that's good. I think, I mean, literally in 16 years, I don't even think I've raised my voice. Yeah, well, I haven't. My, I've got to be honest. My daughter is as good as gold, but she just. We've. I've been through two periods of my life where I've ended up being a single mum again. It's just the two of us, and you do see the dynamic because it's just like we're like friends. All my friends see us together, and they're all said like you're so close and so similar that it's like watching two mates, which I love. But obviously, there are some things like. She just, I did um, the TV show the other day, Steph's Pack Lunch. She said, when I got home, she went, I'd like to watch it. And I said, will you watch it on catch up? She walked in, she went, can you just please don't dance on TV? And I was like, why? And she went, you just look really uncool. And I was like, hang on a minute. I think I'm quite cool. Am I not cool? And she was like, no, you're not. <laughs> Just going back to partners as well. Uh, I mean, w w what about chemistry? Insofar as I mean, do you think chemistry can be can be developed, or, or let's say, fate for want of a better word, or, or other sometimes when you work with people and you know you, you you just don't get each other, and you know even though you're both talented or capable people in your own rights, it's just it's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I think it's something you can't you can't predict if it's going to work, and you can't put it there. Um, I think, for instance, when I did the big breakfast with Johnny Vaughan. Previous to Johnny, I presented the show on my own for a period of time and I was the one that said, oh, we need to get someone in to do it with me. We tried so many different people alongside me. I did it with Ant and Deck for a period of time. They were very much a duo. I did it with Davina McCall, Jenny McCarthy. Um, loads of different presenters came in and did it with me and it just wasn't working. But then Johnny came and it just worked. So that's not something you can really put there. Just that's... And, and it, just, it would just literally just work from the second you met each as other? As soon as we met. Just we've got the same similar sense of humour. Just it just worked, and I think it's like with any TV parents, like Anne and Dick. You couldn't put them now with another person because it would just be a bit odd. They just bounce off each other. And when when you have that kind of I guess like bouncing duo, I mean, is it is it always kind of like an equal duo, or or, or does does someone normally take the lead? Um, I think it can be equal. I mean, it just depends. You sort of know your role within that. Um, so yeah I don't know if it's I mean like for instance with Johnny I'm one of the only people he's 100 miles an hour and he doesn't shut up and everybody says to me you're the only person that can stop him from talking <laughs> I don't know how I do it but he does you know I think when he's with other people he goes off in a tangent but for some reason he'll just listen to me and get his attention <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about mischievous moments. Yeah, so I've had many. Uh, well, I, I know obviously early in the career there was the, the, the famous um, Buckingham Palace incident, yeah. the, the the Queen's toilet roll. I'm forgiven uh, now, apparently. <laughs> Welcome back. And, and flushing flushing Prince Charles. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that is is that something that still lives with you today? Insofar as you know, you, you bring that level of mischievousness to, to, to life in your career, or do, do, do you think you've? Uh, I was going to say, so, well, I was going to say sobered <laughs> up. <laughs> But <laughs> probably probably the wrong the wrong choice of words. But I mean, do you do you worry more nowadays? We, we, no, I'm still the same. Still naughty. I don't think it'll ever leave me. I always say to my friends, "Do you think I'll ever grow up?" And they're like, "No, please don't." It's more fun, isn't it? 
Yeah, no, I'm still very mischievous. And it's funny, actually, because it's seeing that in my daughter because she's very much my personality and I can see it. And I pick her up from school and all the teachers say, well, she's made us laugh so much today. And I'm like, that's what I was like at school. I was the joker. So it's funny seeing that in her. I was like, oh, it's gonna, she's going to be trouble. But we were always a joker from a very young age. Then. Very young age. But then my, my grandfather was as well. So my grandfather was a comedian in the forces. Oh, really? So I think maybe that's where it comes from. My mum's is the same as well. Just all a bit silly. Quite like it. Any, uh, any I've never been beige. <laughs> any any uh, mischievous moments that, uh, that no one knows about that you can tell us about? Um, I'm trying to think of any. I mean, most of them are pretty out there. Because I sort of, you know, when you do I, if I do it, I normally do it quite publicly. <laughs> um, and there, there are probably th a few that um, shall remain private. <laughs> you can, you can t tell us when the cameras have stopped exactly. rolling. Well, go back to the Met Bar in, in the in the nineties. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously. Oh, there's a, a few stories from there. I could. Tell you, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you, you can tell us those in a minute. But I guess, I mean, back in the day, I mean, I, I remember, you know, in the tabloid press. I mean, it, it was it was in the papers, you know, day in day out. There's always something going on there with you know some some big name at the time. But I mean, was there ever a moment you know, when you were stood in there and you kind of looked around and and really felt that you made it? I don't think I've ever felt that. I don't think I've ever stood there and thought that. Not in those moments, because that's like a bar. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't stand in a bar and think I'm that's Sorry, I don't mean in a bar, but, you know, when, when you're, I guess, surrounded by the people that, that you probably used to read about, you know, read about when they you were a really kid people I read about, because I've got to be really honest, because I've done it since I was a kid. I've never followed, like, other performers, and I've never, like, looked at them and seen them any different to me. Do you know what I mean? Because I've done it for so long. So I've never, like been in awe of celebrity or seen even as celebrity they're just people that I work with so not really I think probably the only those moments when you have those little moments and you don't realize it until afterwards is probably like when I was on Broadway and there was a huge billboard in Times Square and that was a bit of a weird moment because I, I wasn't even looking for it and I was walking along to go to work and I just looked up and I was like oh that's a bit weird. Yes, yeah, so it's not people that make me feel like I've made it. It's situations and places that you find yourself in where you suddenly go, oh, well, this is a little bit of a pinch me moment. But again, at the time, you don't really feel it. It's always afterwards. And I think when I did Chicago on Broadway, um, I actually was on the flight with Gordon Ramsay and I've known Gordon for years. And he said to me, he said, you won't treasure this moment probably until a few years time because you, you're in it. So you just, for me, it's just, I'm going to work. And he was right. It wasn't until afterwards I thought, actually, that was quite a big deal, really, because they'd never really taken a Brit over to do something like that. Was the first. I mean, I'm thinking while you're talking. I mean, I mean, for me, it's, it's probably applicable, obviously, in, in a different career. But you know, like people always say to me, like you know, like when did you, I don't know, first feel successful? When, mm. when, when did you, you know, really feel like that business has made it, or, or you know, you really made some money or something? And, and I always think, for me, I probably never really felt it because, I mean, even if you look back, you were still always in the moment. It's like, okay, you know, you were looking forward to, I don't know, buying that house or buying that car or selling that business. But when you actually do it, there's probably something else that you've got to get and get stuck into anyway, another business and another aspect of life. And, and whether it's just that you don't get to enjoy it or whether it's that you get desensitised to it because, you know, you're you're doing it day in, day, in, day out. I guess it's it's probably, I guess in hindsight, a question always asked by people from a completely different industry or a completely different walk of mm. life to you because I think, you know, w w whatever you do, you know, whenever you ask someone about stresses in their careers or highs and lows or whatever, they probably always give you a, a, an answer that sounds almost 
like boring and vanilla compared to what you'd think because you know when, when you're doing it day in day out it just is what it is isn't it yeah it is it's my job at the end of the day and it's a job that I love and I'm really grateful that I still get to do it at a level where I can enjoy it you know and share it with my friends and family because I think that's the thing for me it's being able to share the mo those moments you know that's what's really nice like when I was in New York my whole family flew over and it was just nice to have like my grandmother there and that's and Sylvia Young came so it's moments like that. How that long did you really do nice. Broadway for? Um, so I was over there. I was there for a few months. I did the London run and then they asked me to go back to London because New York had gone really well. And then I went back to New York after that because then I, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote me a one-woman show so I had to go over and rehearse that in New York. So I spent a couple of years over there. Cool. I loved it. It was great. I went to New York for, for Christmas, Christmas, because my birthday's Christmas Day, Christmas 1997. Yeah. It's a good, it's amazing. I love New York. It's got a real buzz it's about it. It's got so much energy, hasn't it? So yeah. much energy. So talk to me about Celebrity Gogglebox. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I know you were, you were, you were saying that, uh, you, you know, you never watch your stuff back, but, you know, when, when you're watching other people now on TV, you mean, do, do, do you find, do, do you find yourself in work mode and almost like, you know, critical of that, oh, I would have done this different or, or they, they should, they should have done that like that? Not really. I mean, I think I'm really annoying to watch TV with anyway, because I don't stop talking, which is why Gogglebox was the perfect right. fit, because that's exactly what they want. But um, it's just funny, because I think when you film that, you kind of binge watch everything because people go, how do they film it? And they think that you've got cameras in your house the whole time, but you just binge watch loads of shows and you do forget that the cameras are there because they're quite small. You don't have any crew in the room with you. They they sit outside in a satellite truck. Is it is it just, so it's just you, you, and, you and Duncan? Me and Duncan just in a room. And how many cameras do they have? Two cameras oh, that's it. and that's it. And they're quite small. So it would be how you would film a reality show. And how long do you, you binge watch for? Uh, a good few hours, yeah. like a day, really, on Do, and off. Doesn't sound like work, does it? No. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> for me, it's great because I get to hang out with my mate because I've known Duncan for years. But there are some things, sometimes we forget we've got a microphone on. We like having conversations when we're, like, mouthing things to each other because we don't want the crew to hear. <laughs> Normally, it's what Duncan's been up to the night before. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he'll be saying it's what you've been up to the night before. Sometimes. <laughs> And tell me, you say that you kind of notice, you get to the point where you don't notice the cameras are there. But do you do you sometimes have to think, oh, I need to behave like this or speak like this to, to actually make the goggle box viewing, or, or really? do you just get on with it and do it as you genuinely would watch TV? Yeah, because the thing is, they film so much of it that you wouldn't even know what would make it in any way. Like sometimes I'll just show you, just going, <gasps> and that's it. So you kind of don't even think about that. I just watch it as I would normally watch it. I have to keep telling Duncan off for eating, though, because he eats constantly. I'm just like, it's so annoying. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was literally just about to ask you, have, have you got any annoying, annoying uh, TV watching habits of Duncan to tell us about, but you're taking the words out of Yeah, I think what's mine, mine are I take up a lot of the sofa. So he's always like, then you're sort of sinking down into the sofa, so we have to keep readjusting everything. But his is he just keeps eating. <laughs> so you say Duncan's an annoying eater to watch TV with anything particularly annoying he eats? Yes, he likes Thai chilli crisps. I won't say the brand, but they stink. And he eats the whole bag. And he knows I hate the smell of them. So he'll get further and further like towards me and then just like breathe all over me. I think I can imagine. I think I know the ones you talk about, actually. They're uh, really tasty. Do you not eat them? Do they, you not like no, them? I, li I like them, but on other people, it's disgusting. <laughs> Fine when you're eating them. But yeah, it's like if you've had garlic, you can't smell it, can yeah. you? But the other person can. And boy, does he stink.
How, how much longer do you do it for? Is it like a seasonal thing? Yes, we do it throughout. They film over, well, lockdown, they did an extended version, so it was about 10 weeks because obviously people were stuck at home and it was one of the only shows that could be made. Um, but now I think it's like six, seven weeks. So, yeah, we've got a couple more weeks to go. But it's fun. It's a good fun one to do. But there's just so many people in it now. I think when it started, the celebrity one, there wasn't that many of us, but there's so many people wanting to do it that you just get a little snippet here and there. But I love the show anyway. I think it's just fun. And like I said, for me, I get to hang out with one of my best mates all day. So you say you were a fan of Gogglebox before you started doing it yourself. Who, who would be your favourite uh, non-celebrity characters? Oh, well, they, most of them I absolutely loved. Like, I always loved it when Scarlett Moffat was on it. I thought she was always really funny. And she's become a friend. And the Tappers, I always thought they were a really funny family. But to be honest with you, because I just really like her and I've got to know her even more from doing Steph's Pack Lunch, Reverend Kate Botley and her fellow Graham, I think they're really funny. So what's next? What Other than, uh, obviously, you've got a couple more weeks of that. You said that, you, you said that you, you film up in Leeds now as well. I mean, have we, have we got any exciting projects on the go to uh, to know about or look forward to? Yeah, there's always more. There's some theatre that I'm looking at doing at the end of the year in London. Um, and then I'm just doing a series with the BBC that I'll start probably in August. So busy, always busy. And then Steph's Packed Lunch that I film in Leeds, which I love, which is live. And we've just been commissioned till December 23. So I'm up north twice a week, which I love. How, how far ahead does your diary tend to work then? Um, I've got things in my diary probably up until probably the end of 2023. And, and going back to what we were talking about talking about earlier on in terms of you know, work ethic and, you know, I guess you know, ne never, never know when, when it could be a last job. I mean, do, do, you, do you ever look at your diary, let's say a year out or whatever, and think, shit, you know, um, I, you know, I need to get some more things in, you know, or, or, or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I guess, have the insecurity of not having work at these points. Or, or, or do you just know that if you if you keep putting the graft in, then opportunities will keep will keep flowing? I just keep it quite free and things tend to come in. I'm, but I'm lucky in that way that I because I do so many different things. If anything, it's hard trying to fit everything in and juggle everything. But um, yeah, I just keep it pretty free. And I have to remind myself sometimes that I need a life, <laughs> like just outside of work. So I always try and factor in little breaks every now and then just for everything because you need to sort of mentally switch off and then I'm better at my job. Otherwise you just keep going and going. And it's like, it's tiring at times, you know? But, um, but I love what I do. So even the long car journeys, the delayed airports, you know, sitting around waiting for planes, all those things at the end of the day when I actually get to the job, I love it. And I think that's the most important thing. So obviously you've been doing this for 20 years or 20 years plus now. Uh, I mean, if if you were sat in my shoes asking you a question, I guess advice for me really, you know, what, what would be the one question that I should be asking? Okay, so right. So I'm now being you talking to me. Yes. Yeah. So you'd <laughs> ask me, am I single? And do I want to take you out and meet some nice fellas out there. <laughs> Are you single? Yes. Right, let's go meet some nice guys. <laughs> what was wrong with me, by the way? Why, 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 why are we bypassing me to meet the other guys? That's funny. Well, now it's time for us to take a break and go and enjoy some tennis. Lovely. This is like the dream. <laughs> Are you a tennis fan? I watch tennis. I mean, I'm not, I'm really not good at playing tennis, but I should be because I play golf. But... Um, yeah, I love going to Wimbledon, and I've been a few times, and I just I think it's such a lovely day out. And I've actually been... talked about golf. I've, I've seen I've seen pictures of you on uh, on some of um, some uh, golf days at, with Ronan Keating. I think yeah, you, I know you, Ronan very well. Yeah, but, yeah. 
I, I, um, I first met him through um, oh, what, what um, uh, the global global giving golf yeah. day that, 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 he, that he does he does out in Marbella. Yeah. And um, I, I remember about four or five years ago, I, I got asked to uh, well not asked but I asked if I, if I wanted to play in the golf. And golf is the one, one thing that I always regret not playing because I just think I, I miss out on so many opportunities. Yeah. You know whether it's you know work things or, or you know celeb events or whatever it may be. And I, um, I kind of take lessons, and then just you know, I'll, I'll get through the driving range, and just never seem to break the back of it to get to get onto the course. Yeah. And I, I always keep saying, "Oh, this summer I'll, I'll put some time aside." And um, I, <laughs> you'll, you'll have to ask him about this story next time you see him. So, so they, they rung me up and said, "You know, do, do you want to play?" And I said, "I'll come." I said, "I can't really play golf." I said, "But if you put me in, put me in a pairing with you know, with, with with somebody fun, mm. then, uh, th- th- then I'll come and play." And they rang me the day before, and they said, um, if, "If you want to play, uh, we'll, we'll pay you at Ronan." I said, "All right, that's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. That's cool." I said, uh, "Shall I just, uh, you know, shall I, shall I just borrow, borrow some clubs off him or something?" And they're like, "Oh no, it doesn't doesn't work like that. If yeah. you've not, not got your own clubs, yeah. so I was like, oh no, I was like, I'll just borrow someone's." He said, "Oh no, no, we'll we'll, we'll hire you some. So I've clearly got no idea what's going on." So I t- turned up, and I was I was, put, I was putting a putting a pair in of four, which was uh, me, Ronan, uh, his mate, a guy called uh, Dave Store, who if you uh, if you've been to the golf things, he probably goes to a lot of them, and and this little Spanish kid, An- Angel something or other, who was like you know, some soon to turn professional Spanish golf prodigy, and there's me who literally does not want, does does not know one end of, of the club for the other. So we got we got onto the first tee, and uh, there's you know there's some photographers there obviously because you know, for the charity and, and, and watching Ronan Ron and tee off. So he does the first tee off, and uh, obviously you know hit, hits a really good ball. You know D- Dave hits his, you know not not too shabby either. The Spanish kid comes and cracks it unbelievably, and I'm thinking, fuck, I'm going to look like a, such a twat. <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> Come up, swing. And I mean, I literally just must have rubbed the club over the top of the ball, and it dribbled about, dribbled about <laughs> three three inches forward. And I just saw the ball looking at each other, thinking, "Fuck, we're stuck with 18, uh, 18 holes with this idiot." And I'd already gone out there and and taken. Um, I think I think they, they gave they gave us three balls to go with, um, and I uh, I'd already asked to buy another twelve balls when we were there. So, so I just said to Ronan and the other guys, I said, "Listen, I'm just here for a bit of fun. I'm not going to, uh, you know, not going to hold up the golf or ruin anyone's day." So I said, "I'll tee off. If it goes somewhere near your balls, I'll play it. If it doesn't, I won't. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll drop some balls. You know, don't worry, yeah. I, I, I won't annoy you." So that's 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 how we set off, and we you know, we, we got got through the first first few holes. Anyway, we got to the got to the halfway line. Uh, you see my terminology, yeah. I'm great, aren't I? We're about to get to the ninth hole, and Ronan rings rings his PA or someone to say that he wants some sandwiches and some drinks uh, and he's saying to us oh, yeah, any sandwiches any drinks I was like oh yeah can I, have a, can I have a diet coke or whatever and can you get them to bring me another 12 balls so what do you mean another 12 balls you had 15 when you started I was like yeah I'm down to my last two we've, we've, <laughs> we've, we've, we've got another nine holes to go through so I've, uh, he's, he's had these other 12 balls shipped out and we got to the 17th hole and me and him are in the buggy together and it, you know we've he's teed off from the top and it goes down and the fairway was like this and these two really high hills so I've taken the um, take, taken the golf buggy up the hill. Well, rather, I, I was the passenger. Ronan's driven it up the hill to park it so he can look and find the ball. Anyway, he finds the ball and he says, "Right, well, I'm going to go down and play it." He goes, "Can you can you just bring the um, can you just bring the buggy down?" 
Anyway, it's been raining earlier on, and as well as being inexperienced at golf, I'm also inexperienced at driving a golf buggy. So I, 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 set, I set off with this golf buggy, and it starts to sli- it starts to slide. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm thinking you want to kind of go at an angle, you know, so you don't pick mm. up too much speed. Obviously, I've learned in hindsight you're supposed to obviously turn it around and go all the way. So I'm, I'm go- going a little bit at an angle, and as it starts to slide, I'm getting nervous. So I'm tapping on the brake. And I take it off and it slides again, tap on the brake. Anyway, the brake locked out and it's been raining and it starts to starts to oh, skid no. and slide. I'm in it, it goes sliding down and it falls over. And I literally roll down oh, no. <laughs> roll down this hill in the, in this golf buggy and finish finish rolling about three feet from rolling these ball. Top of the thing's bent. I'm I'm hanging out the stuff. Oh my god. And uh, I'm thinking you 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 you're, you're really glad. You're really glad you got paired up with me, aren't you? So <laughs> that's that, that's my golf story. I'll, I'll tell you some more over lunch later. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you ever see you yeah. you're paired up with me in one of these uh, golf <laughs> events, you know to run. They are fun though. They're yeah. not always about the golf anyway. I mean, Ronan takes it quite seriously because he's obviously a really good golfer, yeah. but most of the people that I do it with, we just play for fun. So. <laughs> have, you, have you ever played with Brian McFadden? Uh, yeah, many times. Brian's a friend, yeah. yeah okay, so, so it's a Brian's coming here. On, uh, uh, so I met Brian through a golf event. Right. I'm very pally with him, him and Danny, uh, but he's, he's coming to sing here on Friday, actually. Oh, amazing. Oh, so, I love but yeah, Brian. If, 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 you, if, you, if you mention mention my golf uh, golf to him, mm. he'll be pulling some faces. Well, every time we do a charity auction, mm. he, he always donates. Uh, you know, he always donates. Yeah, he's a good. Um, he's a, good a golf day with him for it, but he always says, "I'll only donate it on the condition that you aren't the you aren't the person that comes and plays oh. with me." So. <laughs> oh, I love Brian. He's great. Well, listen, um, I'm conscious that uh, you've got to be somewhere. We've got to go and watch some tennis. So I'll say thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, and uh, guys, yeah, thank you very much for listening. As always, if you've watched this on the video version, you can go and listen to it on the audio version where you don't have to look at my pretty face on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you watch your podcasts. And as always on social, um, the Matt Haycox. That's T-H-E-M-A-T-T-H-A-Y-C-O-X. So Denise, thanks for being here. And guys, I'll see you on a future episode. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.